0: Empathetic leadership made a critical difference in these situations. First and foremost, with our employees, and then that connection from us and our employees to our customers, our guests, whoever they may be, and it's all it's all interconnected.
1: Welcome to the E Word Podcast: Leadership Lessons and Expertise from the Upside. I'm your host, Debbie Kleiman, Managing Partner of the Upside Angels. And a member of The Upside. The Upside is a network of leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and investors who want to transform success into significance by using their knowledge to help others. We chose to do a podcast about empathetic leadership because we believe the world needs it now more than ever. On this podcast, we'll explore leadership models that can help frame how to more effectively engage with your teams and partners and build a strong culture to drive business goals and make an impact that matters. You'll hear some basic tenets of leadership with empathy and important real-world examples for you to see the E-word in action. In today's episode, we'll look at how to use empathetic leadership to drive a more impactful customer experience. My guest today is Prag Shah, who drove customer experience, revenue growth, and innovation at companies, including Princess Cruise Line, Rosetta Stone, Network Solutions, and Sprint. Prag has led cross-cultural teams and partnerships around the world, both at publicly traded and private equity companies. He's also an executive in residence here at The Upside. Hey, Prag, how are you?
0: I'm doing terrific. Thank you, Debbie. Hello, our listeners.
1: I'm so glad that you could join us on the E-word today and talk about empathetic leadership. So let's start with some definitions. A lot has been written about empathetic leadership and what it really means to lead with empathy. And I think people have different definitions and ideas about what that means. So for you... How do you define it? What does it mean to you to practice empathetic leadership?
0: So, I believe that empathetic leadership, which is very well written in its most basic form, is for us as leaders to have both the ability and, importantly, the willingness to really recognize and understand others. That can be others' feelings, others' thoughts others' ideas and that their thoughts can really shape, for better and for worse, a business situation. And the they that I'm referring to are all of the above, our employees, our customers, our partners and other stakeholders in the ecosystem, and and really kind of opening ourselves
1: up. Okay. So would you say that empathetic leadership is something that's very soft? I think people talk about having empathy and they think about it like it's a feeling, kind of emotional expression of management. So how do you think about it? Do you think of it as something that's really soft or is it, you know, like a skill, a muscle that you can use at work?
0: No, absolutely. It's a muscle. I use the words practicing. Right? I, I find myself, I have to have to practice the, the art and the science of leadership in general, and as well as the art and science of empathetic leadership. I don't really believe that it's soft, although it was perceived that way. And there's a difference between empathy and sympathy, right? And those can often get kind of uh, conflated. Uh, but it's more even about the first step, which is listening. Because to understand others, we have to really listen Uh, both the verbals and the nonverbals right pick up those cues listen to uh, their words listen even the tonality when things are being expressed right and and so to me there's nothing soft about the art and science of listening
1: yes i love that connection to the art and science of listening that is very cool You know, I think empathetic leadership is a relatively new idea in the work world and you've been in business a long time. So you've led customer experience, you've led growth, innovation, you worked all around the world in different cultures. Is there a leadership model that you found helpful in your career that, you know, may or may not be related to empathetic leadership, but it's something that you really rely on as something that helps you be a great leader? So tell me a little bit about that and tell me where it came from.
0: Uh, Sure. I mean, uh, just like empathetic leadership, there are a lot, a myriad of of different leadership models. I've been, I'll go back to the word practicing, a model that was introduced to me very early on uh, in my career post MBA. I had the great fortune of working for Sprint in its high growth years. I was there for 10 years and Sprint uh, did a, a terrific job investing in the employee experience and employee development and leadership uh, development around it. And so we had a model and a framework that was derived largely from and adapted somewhat from Hewitt and Associates. Uh, Hewitt has been a a world-renowned top-tier human capital uh, consulting firm. And this leadership framework about the many roles the simultaneous, I call it the hats, simultaneously that a leader has to wear, and, and I'll summarize here. We could spend an entire podcast going deep on this, but I'll just kind of hit uh, the highlights. So imagine uh, imagine a day in your life as a as a manager leader, and all the different situations that that we're facing. And so, of the six, the one is the hat that we wear, the leader as the deliverer. We have to deliver results. We make fact-based decisions. We hold ourselves and others accountable. The second hat would be the leader as a change agent, taking risks, opening up opportunities for the team to take risks, driving. We use words of transformation, driving innovation. That's all in the role of being a change agent. The third would be the leader as the communicator, what are our strategies? Why? What's the context that we're operating in? And often strategies and actions need to change uh, in a flexible organization. And so uh, r- really providing the why behind it, right? So these three roles, the deliverer of the change agent and the communicator, I think are kind of the basics, right? Think of it as kind of a foundation. And then if we layer on top of that, the fourth role in the framework is the leader as the role model, right? And this is where we're playing the role of inspiring others, being that the consummate cheerleader, giving the praise, taking the blame, all those things that a leader does as a role model. Uh, very closely related to that would be a fifth hat, which is the leader as the coach, and this is where we're supporting and guiding individuals, supporting and guiding teams, and encouraging and lifting the team, not draining it, right? And that's the role of a coach. And then the sixth in the framework is, and you can think of it kind of at the, at the top of the stack, so to speak, is our role as a leader, as the visionary, future casting, where are we going? And again, why? What's that North Star In those visionary kind of moments, it's also underpinned when done well in the core values of the company. So collectively, these six, there's a lot there. But I think that framework has certainly helped me as I've applied and practiced it in a lot of different situations over the years, because we're constantly switching these roles, sometimes multiple of those roles in the same hour, certainly in the same day and longer periods of time, right? So I think it's a, it's a nice framework.
1: It is a good framework. Are there certain skills you think that go along with those six types of roles that maybe people don't realize are necessary in order to do them? I'm thinking about, you know, some of them are sort of how you are as a person and your ability to do these roles with a certain amount of authenticity, but There are threads that connect to these approaches and these roles, certain skills that you might be able to learn how to do to be a better leader.
0: In short answer, yes, the connection points for me, and I'll tie it back to empathetic leadership, is oftentimes in the business context, and and I think also culturally in the U.S. and other cultures, in the business environment, there's this veneer that we kind of put on or leave on uh, sometimes in, in, subtle ways, right? Because th- there's, again, I think culturally, there's uh, often this belief that if we're as a leader, if we're too open, if we're too authentic and really showing who we are, which includes vulnerabilities, cause we're all people that somehow that is seen as a sign of weakness and it's kind of shunned upon. And so often this veneer, is there right and in some ways it might even be a a bit of a defensive mechanism right i mean hey i'm in business and what i do in business is different than the way you know i am in other parts of my life and so this veneer can i I think can sometimes get in the way of truly connecting right and going back to empathetic leadership and really understanding and connecting with customers and employees and partners and so kind of removing that veneer and, and really opening myself up, then drives connection. And in some ways, I think it's really even pinned to humans, right? As homo sapiens, right? Uh, our DNA is we're very social creatures, like just deep down. And that we have this need to, to connect and understand. But in the business world, sometimes we put up this, this veneer. And so I think when we're playing these different roles that I described, the visionary, the coach, the change agent, in all those instances just really being truly authentic because then that drives trust and i think with trust because we're talking about people then a different and hopefully a better outcome can emerge
1: yes i agree trust is so important to good outcomes and i think it's a big part of empathetic leadership so let's move on to the practical here we've been talking at a pretty high level about the e word and what it means but you know, you're a really successful guy. You've done some incredible things in your career. You spent a lot of that career in the customer experience area, you know, leading that part of a company. And so I'm curious to know how leading with empathy, driving customer experience and business outcomes kind of mesh together and and does that change when you're in an international setting or in a cross-cultural company or context? So can you walk me through a couple of stories that sort of show me how the E-word can come into play for making great customer experiences happen?
0: Happy to share. And I like the word stories, right? Because these are episodes and and, and some lessons, not necessarily that I have the answers. We talk about international and cross-cultural, global, the very core of empathetic leadership, right? Again, really trying to understand others and a willingness to gets amplified in a cross-cultural environment, because by definition, we're different. Um, and those differences can be can be great um, when they're melded together. Uh, I'll, I'll provide an example. I'll take you back, uh, Versace Stone. I think many of our listeners probably know the brand, know the product of language learning. And we're a global company. I had the privilege of, of running the global p and a few years back, and we were operating in multiple countries, multiple continents. And one particular area, growth area for us was in Asia, Japan and, and Korea specifically. And I happened to be living in, in Tokyo at the time, really putting focus on, on that market. And it's a very unique, vibrant language learning market in, uh, in Japan. And I was... Working with our management team locally, we had a team of about 100 on the ground in, in Tokyo, and we were talking about a new product that we were about to introduce or reintroduce into the market. And the management team is describing, uh, in their ways, some, some areas of the product that perhaps won't, won't fit the market the best way we might need to, or how we go to market, the, the overall go-to-market strategy. And, you know, certainly I'm listening to them and, and there was concern I, mean, I could, I could see it, could, I could hear it and, and just kind of feel it. And so I wanted to go a little bit deeper and I asked, suggested to our team, I wanted to bring more team members. Um, they're actually the team members that, that they happen to be a little bit younger. They really represented the demographic in the market that we were actually going after and they happen to be on our team in customer service and retail sales, uh, financial analysts, et cetera. And so, so we gathered them up in a, in a conference room for those that have worked in, in Japan and around Jap- uh, uh, Japanese companies, there's a certain hierarchy and a structure and I'm the boss's 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 boss, or whatever number of layers there were. Right. And, uh, to have this kind of direct engagement with quote, the front lines Uh, And really try to open up is not necessarily a cultural norm, but yet I I felt that they really had many of the answers and suggestions we were looking for. So, so we gather up in the in the conference room. My assistant is there, and so I kind of put her on the spot as the first one to try to open up the dialogue around, you know, what do you think about the product and how and where do Japanese language learners who are learning English largely. Where and how would they practice, and what are some of these nuances, right? And it was stiff; it, it was very awkward at first. But then it really started to open up, and and the we ended up and we're doing whiteboards and sticky notes, and was this really vibrant discussion that ensued. A few weeks later, uh, I asked, uh, stemming from that, I asked our product teams from the U.S. to come to Japan. They flew out there. They're then in the rooms with our teams and with some external customers, really rolling up the sleeves, and we modified the product and relaunched it, right? And and I, and I think it's one of those things that had we, as a team, really not kind of pushed for that openness and, and bring down those walls, and we were crossing cultural norms too in doing so, it, it was very powerful, awkward at first, but very powerful.
1: Getting over the awkwardness to make that kind of progress, right? People weren't comfortable working like that, but you can set a different tone and, and it makes a big difference.
0: Right. Exactly. Not just awkwardness for me, but uh, for everyone, right? Because we were really crossing cultural norms uh, in doing so. I'll fast forward still with Rosetta Stone, a few, it was probably six or nine months later, I had to and with the team needed to take some actions to do some downsizing in Japan. We were transforming the business from the yellow boxes that everyone probably knows that were on airport kiosks and stores. Uh, You probably remember those. I was the one who shut down all the kiosks and retail stores around the world because we were going to digital subscriptions. Mass transformation. So I had to stand up in front of the team and talk about the downsizing that was going to ensue. Um, because the business model um, was drastically different now. I had my assistant help me write those words in my delivery in Japanese. I do not speak Japanese, even though it work for a <laughs> <percentage. laughs> And uh, I stood up in front of everyone and delivered this very tough message that we were going to be downsizing and here's what it's going to look like and people's livelihoods are being impacted. And, you know, we're standing there and often in those situations what ensues in the following days or weeks? And this was over a couple of months. Often there's then there's there's animosity right between management or executives and and the and the team and the staff right because of, of the actions we're taking. However, what I saw was something very different. Our team members were coming up and saying, "How can I help?" Right, even though they knew that the job was going to change or was going to be Downsides eliminated, right? And 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 many of them worked to the last minute of the last hour of the last day. They didn't have to, and, and the, I think it comes back to that we built so much trust and openness, and that we really are in this, you know, together. Um, and it goes back, it goes back to that huddle, even when we had to make the very tough decisions. The the, the teamwork. And the, the behaviors that ensued for all of us were, I think, materially different because we had kind of opened up and, and we were operating and leading with empathy.
1: Those are such great stories. And, and you've been in a lot of tough situations at work. I think, oh gosh, I can't even imagine being in your shoes for some of these things. But then it gets even more difficult because you had the job of being at Princess Cruise Lines, which is an amazing company, But then COVID hits, right? You guys are doing so well. The cruise industry is booming. COVID hits and Princess ends up being like the poster child for COVID-19 and cruise lines. Is there a story from around that time, running customer experience there, that your ability to lead with empathy was so crucial and that it can really kind of illustrate the power of leading with empathy?
0: We were all tested in unique ways. Uh, So I'll take you back. It was January, February of 2020. Uh, Coronavirus, it wasn't even called COVID then, was really just in China, although it was quickly and quietly spreading through the world, right? As we now know, I was on a ship uh, with a big chunk of my team. Uh, We were in Australia and New Zealand for a couple of weeks. I had teammates on other ships and uh, teammates at headquarters in Los Angeles when all this was transpiring. And what we were most concerned about are our guests, Right. We're in the service business, and we had guests on board uh, while this is all unfolding. And that's, uh, that, that's our that's our duty and our obligation, first and foremost. Right? And so it's, it's very real. I was having conference calls and video calls with different parts of my team. I would do conference calls with with our headquarters team in L.A. I, we had a team on the ship that was coming into San Francisco, which then had uh, some suspected COVID cases. I was having calls with them separately. I was certainly, I was, and I was on board on the ship in, in New Zealand, and so I was doing these kind of communications and action planning, and those crisis management in kind of these sub teams, which seems you know very very you know kind of natural, I guess. As we're doing that, both the said and the unsaid was this concern that all of our team members had about our colleagues. On the other ships or what we call our our land-based teams concerned about everyone who's out on the ships right so i put together global calls so these were at all odd hours um of 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 the day and night uh, because literally we're spending 24 hours and we're doing video calls because we really wanted to connect and i would start those calls just very briefly with an update what's going on and from a business standpoint but the main purpose and the benefit of those calls was literally just to cross connect our teams in a very caring way. Uh, these are teams. That I, I think my team at the time represented 20 plus nationalities and were spread across 24 hour time zones. And it was about how are you doing, right? It's kind of this reach out team member to team member, And it was shout outs for birthdays. And then we had teams that were quarantined on the ships and were all like, you know, here's some activities that, you know, that we can do to keep them engaged as they're quarantined. And it was just a a, a remarkable time. But what emerged from that, and, we go through those episodes, even afterwards for many, many months, that entire team was on a WhatsApp group. It was everything from here's what my dog and then people got laid off and the ships are grounded and they're and they're now kind of back home all around the world and pictures of here's my dog and here's what I'm doing and just these personal connections even after you know not even being kind of in it and, and, and being a part of it because of that openness and the trust and the relationships that got built and I think that really is what defines a team and kind of empathetic leadership in this case in a crisis,
1: right. And it wasn't just about what was happening in the company in that case, right? I mean, the whole world's going through something horrible together. And it was so important for you to make sure that your whole team was still being treated like human beings and cared for and cared about and making those connections in formal and informal ways in order to make sure that the human equation was not left out of this catastrophe that you were in. It wasn't something that was just really bad happening to the business, but it was something really bad happening to your employees and your customers, so it sounds like the people part of this crisis was front and center for you.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and the other side of that same coin, so to speak, on the other side of the employee experience are our guests, our customers, right? In many of the ships we still had guests on board, and you know, continuing to serve, if you will, um, in those dynamics, right?
1: That must have been so challenging. I mean, the scale of it is just—it's incredible to think about but I'm glad you were able to find your way through it. I know it was very difficult, but clearly the E-word served an important purpose there. So why don't we do this? Why don't you sum up a few key takeaways for our listeners on your perspective on empathetic leadership and how it has allowed you to be such a successful executive?
0: Sure, Uh, I'll, I'll recap again. So again, empathetic leadership is really about the ability and the willingness to understand others and how that shapes the business I right? um talked about removing that veneer that is often in the business world and that that can unlock relationships and the ability to have a greater impact or in a different way by removing that veneer it's being that authentic person in those moments in time that folds into the leadership model or framework, right? The one that I was describing that I still use and I use the word practice, the six hats of leadership, those multiple roles that we're constantly playing um, as leaders because we're always on stage. Everyone's always watching the leader, right? And being your true self while you're switching in and out of these different roles and that, you know, through these one or two stories that I highlighted, that I believe that empathetic leadership made a critical difference in these situations. First and foremost with our employees and then that connection from us and our employees to our customers, our guests, whoever they may be. And it's all it's all interconnected. And that empathetic leadership, Ray right, has the question, uh, is it soft? And no, I don't think it's soft. I think it's a very real skill. It's an art and a science uh, that I continue to practice. I hope others do um, because it can drive the business. And I came across a a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that I think really sums sums this up. He said, nobody cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that kind of in a nutshell is really what leading with empathy is, is all about.
1: Amazing. That is fantastic. Thank you, Prag, for summing it all up for us. And thank you for joining us today and sharing those great stories that we could all learn from. And that's it for this episode of The Upside. Remember, don't be afraid to use the E-word at work, and we'll see you next time. I'm Debbie Kleiman for The Upside.